Hey, coffee geeks. Welcome to the Stone Creek Coffee Podcast. I'm Drew. I'm uh, the host of the podcast and one of the owners at Stone Creek Coffee. And moving forward, we're planning on recording the podcast to have both audio and video formats available for you. Um, today, this is our first try in doing that ourselves. And generally, it went pretty good, but we did have a little bit of trouble with the audio on Eric, as you're about to see for about the first 15 minutes of the podcast. I don't think his mic was plugged in uh, just right, and so he kind of cuts in and out on the microphone, but you can still hear what he's saying. So we're gonna go ahead and deliver this podcast to you as Eric and I talk about really navigating the company through the COVID-19 pandemic and what we've learned and how that's influencing our company as we move forward. So I hope you enjoy it, and I look forward to bringing new episodes to you very soon. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Stone Creek Coffee Podcast. I've got Eric with me today again. So our founder, Eric, you guys know him by now on the podcast. Um, and uh, we're just sharing some coffee and we're going to do a little recap today talking about um, really what we did as a company through COVID-19. And we're, we're still in COVID-19, so it's not like we're beyond this. But we really just wanted to recap together, like, what did we just come through and how has that influenced where we're headed um, in the future here? So before we get into all of that, we're going to talk about what we're drinking, though. A little segment, new segment, what are we drinking? Um, <laughs> so, uh, Eric, you, you mentioned a couple of times as we sat down, mm, this is a nice coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is uh, our Scarlet Honey that launched, uh, what, just a few days ago? Yeah, by the time this comes out, it'll be out for a couple of weeks. Yeah. But Yeah, so... This is from uh, Costa Rica Central Valley. Valley, it's a new producer. That first year we're working with them, um, and I was introduced to this producer through a friend of mine uh, who owns a coffee company in Denver, Corvus Coffee. Shout out to those guys, mm. but they're just really great at sourcing. And uh, he and I've been collaborating on some different parts of the coffee business, and so he helped me uh, learn about this coffee. And he was down there and. WhatsApp me and said, "Hey, I'm here. What do you think?" And I said, "I trust you." <laughs> and uh, this car, this farm, Las has a pretty strong reputation yeah. for producing great coffee. So I brewed it up this morning in a V60. Uh, Fifteen to one was the ratio. Um, really lovely, um, sweet, clean, and juicy, yeah. as we like to say. It's like tart cherries, some milk chocolate. It's really like it's super fresh off roast. I just grabbed it out of our production facility on the way over here. One thing that, that when I first learned about honey produced coffees, I, I didn't, of course, when you hear the word honey, you think there's honey in there. Yeah, and, and there's bees not. involved somehow, <laughs> maybe. Um, but a honey processed coffee is produced, um, unlike a fully washed coffee, some of the mucilage or the fruit, what is in essence the fruit of the coffee, is left on the beans, and the coffee. The, the, the cherry, the seed is put out onto the drying beds with some of that fruit and it actually dries with the fruit on it so that it becomes sticky. So that um, is one of the reasons why this is called a honey process. Um, and because they leave the fruit on it as it dries, it tends to impart a deeper, fruitier uh, profile in the cup and not like a full natural, which would be more fermenty. Yeah. Where this is just a more fruity with just a little hint of fermentation that comes when that that fruit um, 
is, is fermenting a little bit on the beds. Yeah. I like when it dries and gets stuck together. kind of looks like Cracker Jacks and smells amazing. So I, you almost want to eat it when it's there dry, but that would be impossible. And not, not great. But yeah, definitely a great coffee. Recommend you guys check it out. Um, we will also be launching a new or another honey process. Um, well, just two weeks or so after this podcast launches. This one's called Scarlet Honey. That one's going to be called Amber Honey. Um, also from Costa Rica, different uh, micro mill though. And then right after that, actually, we're going to have a natural process from Colombia. So a lot of interesting process, process coffees coming at you here in the near future. I'm sure we'll talk about some of those as we go. Let's get into the topic today, though, which again was to just recap. You know, we've tried to message and be as public as we possibly can about how how we've taken steps through the COVID nineteen pandemic. But let's just go back to February, mid February, because I know Eric, you were you were doing more reading than most, I think, probably about the pandemic as it spread. But as as you know, there started to be an international spread of COVID nineteen. Like what? What was your reaction? How does Eric Resch process through that? Uh, I think initially, you know, in, in Wuhan, I would read about what was going on there, and I think like other um, sort of regional, uh, call it a pandemic, but regional flare-ups of different viruses, um, it was sort of a place far away that it was not something that could impact us, and. That was sort of the tact I took through February, and then moving into March is when it hit northern Italy that first time, and I was reading about the, the communities and the villages that were being quarantined, literally, like we're shutting this town down. That is where I, I moved from, well, that's interesting, to, wait a minute, this is a, a real threat to, to the U.S., to us, to our business, to our families. And that this could be something that comes across. And we live right in an age of jump on a jet plane. Our world, the earth, our cultures, our societies are now intertwined by virtue of the technology we've built. Whether it's an airplane, you know, what? When, was, when, when did the Wright brothers? It's like 1901 or something. Yeah, so pre-1901, there was no moving culture around the world that was moving from here to the next community for sure but with our technology the jet the internet and everything else we built to uh, advance our society we now have different types of threats and the spread of covid is only possible because of what we've created and so i knew um, that, that this was a threat mm -hmm. and i began to think about what we would do as a company if 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 and when this arrived yeah, about when would you say was a time where you're like, oh yeah, okay, we need to batten down the hatches here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't. Um, I'm trying to remember back to those days. I know that you and I talked on the phone. I was up north at my cabin. I think mm -hmm. it was March. 9th yeah, yeah, that was second week of March. Um, I had been reading about Seattle at the time. You know, they were really the first cluster in the U.S. that had a, a defined outbreak that had local transmission or appeared to have local transmission. And again, and it was through just extrapolations, uh, Wuhan, Northern Italy, Seattle. It was obvious that we were going to reach that point. And I think a few days later, we spoke on the phone and uh, 
I don't remember the I don't remember what precipitated me to say we're going to close our stores down on Tuesday. Yeah. But it was really and like maybe like making any kind of decision with imperfect information, you have to trust yourself in a way. And I think I shared that with you on the phone like I I'm going to trust myself. I, I sometimes don't, but but I'm going to trust myself. And I try to trust myself with my intuition. And intuition is really just the aggregation of all the information you've received. You may not be able to organize it and articulate why, but you understand that, that it's time, that you can feel because of this information. And, and that's what you and I talked through and talked to Melissa and we decided. Um, we don't know what's going to happen, and nobody else seems to be wanting to do this yet, but we're going to close. And we closed in service to, to learning, to protecting, and to caring for our employees. Like, we could have waited and closed later, um, like many other businesses did, but I don't know. When you don't know something and the risk is there, you err, you err on the side of um, caution. Yep. And that's what we ended up doing. Yeah, and I'm really thankful, like, for your. I mean, the fact that you were ahead of it, because in service to radical transparency, like, part of it's owning our deficiencies. And you know, as this pandemic spread, you know, I I did not have the the vigilance that you did, you know, to my shame, but also like, hey, like, you there's a sobriety to certain things that you need to bring. And so it was a big learning point for me, like. Sure, when something's just in China and you know the science is relatively new on it, you don't know everything, so it's probably not great to overreact. At the same time, like doing what you did and saying, okay, where could this go? Like, let's just play out some potential scenarios and do some planning versus kind of it's not it's not going to be a thing. Like, and and the United States in general made that it's not going to be a thing mistake, and I'm I'm thankful for the way in which you pushed both me and the organization to say, all right, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to let this thing overtake us. We're going to be a leader in it. We may be wrong, <laughs> which is, you know, even today, well, like was shutting down the right call. I don't know, but, um, but it, it was in service to caution and care. And so in that sense, no, it, it wasn't wrong. Yeah. Um, and I think that like all decisions you have to decide upon which criteria will you make this decision? Because there were many, factors and we made the decision upon the criteria of what's best for our employees how do we care how do we bring the care that we expect from each other within the business and for our customers right we didn't know what was going on and we wanted to care for them as well so we could have made the decision upon the criteria of maximize revenue or increase profits and um, we would have not made the decision the same had we done that um, but that was our decision, and I think it was the right decision. And it was scary. It was scary to close, but it got kind of scarier as we went through. <laughs> um, yeah, and we can talk about that. And then we will. What is, what is it like to to make a decision with um, in uh, complete information? And as information starts coming in, what is it like then to have to admit mistakes or make adjustments or? Um, or backtrack, you know, literally change the decision altogether. And, and along the way, we had all kinds of those situations, of course, like all businesses um, have. Yeah. So before we get into like the, so 
day one we shut down what happened after that because i i think i wrote out like i think there's like kind of four distinct phases that we've been through there was also in that initial phone call hey drew i think we're you know i think we need to shut it down and i said okay well <laughs> okay um so so what about like employee pay and you know how do we go through this and we started to have those conversations um and again you know you had a, a I'd say a, a perspective and a, a belief, like a, a way to be authentic to yourself and going through this that involved, hey, we're gonna we're gonna at least maintain our employees' pay through the end of May. And so you said, I, I don't know what's after that, but we're gonna do that. We're gonna commit to doing that. So I'm not sure what what's on the future in terms of can we keep everybody or you know will there be pay cuts? I don't know, but. For now, as we ride through this, we're going to commit to the end of May. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the, um, when we decided to shut down, of course, one of the first questions that came into my head is, okay, what are we going to do about pay? Um, with no revenue and full payroll, um, that's a lot of money to be burning every week. Um, and the question is, how long can we sustain that? Of course, we don't know how long the shutdown will last. Sure. And as you mentioned, I calculated that, hey, let's let's commit for at least two and a half months let's be sure we have the cash to do that and um, that's what we committed to and it turns out that was about how long we were shut down maybe a little bit longer um, yeah we I opened mean, in early june i think uh yes so downer was cafe. yeah downer was early june um but that was the commitment we made and quite honestly it was scary because there was no ppp at the time there was no discussion of how uh, we were going to make this payroll. Our plan was, and we talked about this as a leadership team, we'll borrow the money. You know, we have a little money in reserve. We'll borrow the money and then we'll just dig out. You know, yeah. like sometimes in business you need to, to borrow money to put more money in the business. And then, you know, it's kind of like smoothing, smoothing the curve. You just take the hit and then you dig out slowly. And that's what we were going to do. And our, our commitment to our employees was number one and our financial health over the short term was number two of course financial health over the long term has to be sustained that's but we how had you to take care of your employees yeah, yeah we can't go out of business taking yeah. care of them in the short term but we we had a plan and we executed it and our employees were grateful i received many notes many texts saying mm -hmm. thank you i was scared i was worried um and i think that 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 was um the best one of the best decisions we made through all of this yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, and I, I was scared. I was worried, as I know you were. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what's going to happen? And of course, taking that, making that commitment was, I think, a way of saying, listen, you know, we've always we we've, we've been a coffee company because we love coffee, but it's been about our team. Like that's been the why we do this work. I know it's why you do the work. It's why I do the work. It's not, you know, it. Of course, it's because of coffee a little bit, but it's more about the environment that we get to yeah. create and the people we get to work with. So, yeah. I think that's important to keep in mind, and and I I, I do think that that decision um, made that belief like it was the uh, it was an authenticator of that belief mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but then we shut down, closed, uh, you know, thirteen cafes at the time. And so most of our wholesale business goes away because the rest of the world also kind of shuts down. And then initially we're like, okay, it, it, like the days we shut down the, 
cafes and we, we you know went through the donation process of the food and any perishables the the next day i just remember like waking up and feeling like okay i don't actually know what to do <laughs> right um and so there's that initial phase of okay our e-commerce sales are going up a little bit let's start working there um and you and i had done a little bit of work in the past through some well we some digital marketing efforts that uh we decided okay we got it's time to start really pushing on this because with the world idle they still need stuff you know people still want coffee like that was quite clear as we shut down the cafes people didn't want to go without great coffee right um so we need to start working in this digital realm yeah, so that's what we did, right? And then we saw our e-commerce business take off. We've always, yeah, I, I don't yeah. want to say we've struggled with our e-commerce business, but but it's been a business that is like a lagging indicator of the strength of our company. That more people come in our cafes, leave the city, or or move back home, or whatever they use our e-commerce platform. But with everything shut down, our e-commerce platform like literally took off like a rocket yeah, ship. Yeah, it and was we, unbelievable. <laughs> we we were faced with a different type of problem. How do you go from shipping? I don't know, a couple hundred packages yeah. a week to shipping 300 packages a day and do that overnight. And mm -hmm. I was really proud of you and Brian and the production team and many of our employees who were now at home and not working in the cafes, we asked for help yeah. to come into the factory and pack boxes and roast coffee and ship it out to our customers who were still trying to support us and and so we're so thankful for that support but it was it was going overnight from no volume to really a lot of volume and then subsequently we've seen that volume kind of return to uh, certainly not normal because people yeah. are still shipping so coffee times what it was yeah yeah so we're we're thankful for our customers who who came in and I'm thankful to all the staff that came in. Of course, yeah. we had to social distance and take everybody's temperature every day. Yeah. And, you know, we were doing all these things to manage the health and well-being of our production team. In fact, we we created two teams, right? So we could alternate yeah. days. Um, yeah, that was, I mean, a huge learning experience for me is, so we started doing this more proactive marketing to our retail, or our retail customers. Um, was shut down, caused the big uh, e-commerce boom because people were just, I think they were stoked for what we did for our employees and they wanted coffee, of mm -hmm. course. And mm -hmm. so we saw our sales take off. And um, I remember going in on that Monday because we saw our sales just, just flooding in over the weekend and then meeting with Brian and saying, all right, let's, like, let's get a handle on the orders that just came in. How are we going to do this? And then over the course of that week, it was then the preparation for, listen, we've got all this volume coming in and we want to sustain it. But how do we do that in a safe way? Because we still don't know what's going to happen yeah. with COVID and spread rates and just how serious is this thing going to be? So there was that, all right, we're going to divide into two teams. Brian, you're going to take one and yeah. I'm going to take one. And, uh, you know, we're going to run a new production facility right. and that's really what it was it was like we moved a bunch of stuff around like to say listen we normally served our retail uh teams and those were big orders it was a bunch of bulk bags of coffee that would get shipped out via truck wholesale very similar big orders of of coffee and now we have these 300 orders of two pounds um but it, I would just echo what you said. The team was incredible. Like the, the team members from retail who volunteered to come with us, um, 
and help and work on what was Team Flower. My team was Team Flower. That's um, the result of Eric's nickname for me. Don't worry about it. <laughs> different podcast. And then uh, Team Braft, which is Brian's nickname for uh, another reason. But anyway, um, just wonderful people who came in to help us get a handle on it. And then from there, we were able to start building our e-commerce, um, yeah. you know, and saying, listen, okay, the, the, the world looks like it's going more and more, like it's going to stay pretty digital in terms of our purchasing habits. So how do we lean into that? Like, what are some of the products that are valuable to people during this particular time? Mm -hmm. And so one of the things we did, which has been really, really well received, and I think we learned uh, a lot from, is a re relatively simple concept. We call it our drinkable postcards. And that was like, in this particular moment where connection is so difficult, we're trying to answer the question, how can coffee help people connect? Um, which you talk when we talk about creating products for people, we talk about jobs to be done as a, a mode of inspiration. Like when you're going to create stuff as a company, what are you trying to create for? Well, we use the term jobs to be done. Why don't you share that a little bit? Yeah, we can maybe dig into that another time. Oh yeah, but we'll I can definitely go down. deeper. I yeah. think we've talked about it before, actually, on yeah, the podcast we, too. In brief, we use this at Stone Creek to be able to frame up really an empathetic view of what the customer wants and needs and it's what we call jobs to be done like what is the job that this coffee is being hired to do and we know in the morning coffee is being hired to wake us up yeah but we were talking about during covid like what is the job that coffee can do besides wake you up and the other two dimensions that we discuss is the social dimension of a job how does this create social connection and then the emotional connection what is the individual's emotional connection to the job and we talked about how people can't connect and can't see each other. And so we came up with Drinkable Postcards, which is really a whole family of coffees that have um, unique uh, branding, labeling that, that sends a message, just like a postcard. I miss you. Um, coffee isn't canceled, things yeah. like that. Um, so we created those based on that framework of jobs to be done. And for those running companies or working for companies and thinking about how to develop a product, just because you think a product should be good is not necessarily sufficient it's maybe necessary but the other way to look at it is what does the customer want and what job is your product or service being hired to do and mm. that comes from clay christensen who's a one of my mentors and somebody that i really really have a lot of respect for and he's a harvard business professor writer and um, he developed this framework of jobs to be done he's also probably best known for the innovators dilemma um, many years ago but that's a framework we use at Stone Creek to help us think through what are we doing and why are we developing this product and not this one. Yeah. Another thing with more tangible, like as we think about products we created, more tangible in terms of like physical uh, was cold brew is kind of hard to make at home. And, you know, a lot of people come into mm -hmm. our cafes and they want to get great cold brew. And well, they can't right now. So we thought, well, we've been working on a product. Mm -hmm. um, that's really easy to make cold brew at home, cold brew filter packs. Um, and we were able to crank out mm -hmm. that project and, and bring Roy G. Biv and Jet Black and then a decaf filter pack and then even experiment with some of our small batch coffees and these filter packs to get people you know, their cold brew at home. And that's been really well received as well. Mm -hmm. So like the, a, a lesson is, hey, listen, there's probably a lot of different cool, unique customer needs that coffee can fulfill if we're looking for them mm -hmm. and so I know we're both excited about what what the future holds for Stone Creek and like new coffee product development right like some of the most exciting work I think that lays ahead 
Yeah, I mean, what is it? Necessity is the mother of invention. Mm -hmm. Well, we were in new new times. Um, you know, we were we were sailing through through a turbulent time, and we didn't have a map, and we were creating on the fly, and that was a real lesson that you can do that during quiet times too. Mm. That you can you can build things um, and and do that innovation even if it's not necessary. You can create the conditions to do that. So we're just getting our bearings, um, and then like we start to learn a little bit about like okay, how do we take steps forward to protect the business? Um, the government stimulus package comes out. And you and Garrett start just churning on that. Yeah. Like I'm working on production, and you're working on yeah. stimulus. We, I was reading a lot about what Congress was doing uh, around, uh, you know, a relief package. How big was it going to be? How was it going to be structured? I mean, I remember it was sort of like every day I would be reading the next sort of Mitch McConnell blah 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 uh, about whether or not they were going to get this package. Um, passed and I already knew the PPP was in there. I'd read a lot of the information. So I was just waiting and I was just ready to, to apply. Um, mm -hmm. And of course, as you said, Garrett, who's our financial director, um, he and I were um, on it, working hard to get all the applications done. And then I was working closely with our bank, our, our, which is um, Associated Bank, working with my banker and then my banker's boss, our banker's boss. and. I said, hey, I want to be first in line on the PPP. I, I didn't know if the money was going to run out. I didn't know how fast. We've obviously had three more, I guess, tranches or fundings of the PPP. So there was plenty of money for every business to get it, which was great. But I was concerned the money was going to run out. And so we wanted to be um, ready to go. So we worked hard to, to apply. We received our PPP loan. And for those who don't study this or didn't need to study it, the PPP is simply a a loan that if you keep employees on your payroll, eventually will be forgiven. So for Stone Creek currently, it's July right now, we, we still have the loan and hopefully soon we'll be applying for some forgiveness, meaning we won't have to pay some of that loan back. But mm -hmm. you know, we can criticize the government all we want and, and I could probably do that for hours on end, um, specific people, but that program for our business to be developed over three weeks, put in place, and money be made available was a lifesaver in a way for our business. We were ready to borrow the money on our own and mm -hmm. pay it back over multiple years. We were prepared to do that. That was our plan. But that just helps us um, move forward without quite as much burden on the debt in the business. Well, and figure out how to continue to outlast this thing, because even yeah. as we sit here today with our cafes open, it's not like yeah, you know, we're still on a journey to cash flow positive and we'll yep. talk about that in a minute. But as we worked through that initial shutdown and PPP, you know, stimulus, where are we going? Just how were you? Because <laughs> <laughs> I think about uh, maybe I probably spend too much time thinking about myself, but like there are moments in my life that I think about like, wow, that was a dramatic time of learning for me both in terms of my emotional health, my spiritual health, my health with my family, and my health with my work. Just like when the going gets tough, it tells you a lot about what you value and how you work. Mm -hmm. um, so how were you? <laughs> I think I was sort of operating on, on two ends of the spectrum, which I think I don't quite know how to connect it to, but one end was 
it was very invigorating. Like it mm -hmm. was, there was a lot of vitality in, in the day. Yeah, because the information was changing quickly. You had to make decisions. You had to communicate well to, to your team and to everybody who depends on Stone Creek for their livelihood. And so there was a lot of commitment to that, to doing that well and to getting through this, to leading um, Stone Creek through a very difficult time. So I got a lot of vitality from that. So that was, I don't want to say that was my public face because it's not really how it was done. But then there was, of course, the personal reflection and the, oh shit, mm. how does all this play out? Like, can we dig out? When are we going to come back? And, and that was coupled with for all of us, well, what is this COVID? Am I going to get it? Yeah. If I get, am I going to get really sick? Should I, should I get a, 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 a pulse ox to be able to check my, my oxygen level? Like, what if my family gets it? What if, can I go to the doctor? Like, we all had those worries. And then, of course, I had the Stone Creek worries on top of it. But I think at the end of the day, the way I saw it is Stone Creek is a thing. It's kind of like, when I talk to Melissa about our cars, like if we get a scratch or the kids ride their bike into the side of the minivan, like it's metal. Like it's a thing. It's, it's a thing. And, and not that Stone Creek is just a thing, but it's not us. It's not who we are as people. It's a thing we built. It's a thing we're trying to build and make better. It's a thing we ask people to engage with. We have customers, but it's not everything. And so at the end of the day, if Stone Creek went away, that would be a bummer, but it wasn't going to, sort of take down me with it. Sure. And so that was, I had to separate sort of running the business from who I was as a person. And that's always a struggle um, anyway, because I'm deeply committed to it. I'm deeply committed to its success. I'm deeply committed to our team and our people, but it's not me. Sure. Yeah, I think this, uh, and I mean, there was an event last year too, but this event for me was in understanding uh, personal limitations and how to deal with those is, you know, I've always had a lot of uh, horsepower. I can manage a lot. I can do a lot. I got a lot of energy. Um, I can go pretty hard. And in the midst of working through all of this, particularly as we started to think about, all right, let's, let's talk about phase reopening of our retail group. Um, you know, there was a lot of work involved with that and making sure production and we got the PPP and you know, this is a lot of mm -hmm. stuff. And my body at one point said, you can't do anymore. Mm -hmm. Like I started getting migraines and I was like, I don't get migraines. Like what's with the migraines? Right. <laughs> and it was just like, whoa, like you're hit a point in the day where your brain stops working, you can't see very well. And then it's like, okay, there's like in the midst of all this stuff that we have to do, quote unquote, have to do like, I still have to take care of my family and I have to make sure that my body can manage yeah. it. And so like, and I think it's, you know, just a, the process of dealing with the stress and getting a little bit older. I turned 30 last year. So like, I don't think my body is quite as resilient as it maybe was. And, um, you know, making sure that like, whereas I felt like I was in a pretty good emotional position, making sure that the, my, my body was there to match that. Um, so that I could be really effective because yeah. it was at a point where I was like, I'm just not even feeling effective because I'm, I'm just hitting this wall. Yeah. Well, I so. think one thing we, I also felt that, and I have learned, you know, to work at what I call a guide's pace and a guide's pace is you work at a pace that you always have some reserve that you never redline, you never work at a level that redlines. And as the leader 
ultimately of the company, I can't be in a position where I can crash and burn, right? Mm -hmm. So I always leave some room so I can redline for a day or two or a week, but then I can dial it back. Yeah. So that's one thing that I think everybody can, can appreciate and think about. And secondly, one other thing we did, I think, really well during that sh during the shutdown is whenever we had to make a significant decision, um, I would always talk to two to three smart people. Like I would never, and I, every time I make a mistake, I tend to just do things on my own. I got this. Mm. And your perspective or my wife, Melissa's perspective as a co-owner or our director of retail or head of production or any of the people we work with, if the decision impacted them, we tried to get their perspective. And we sent out many surveys to our customers, yeah. to our employees. And I credit Melissa for saying, hey, we need to go ask some of this stuff before we assume this is the right path. And that was really one of the big lessons of the shutdown and just through this whole time period is um, there are many perspectives out there and, and the best decision usually involves bringing those, those perspectives to the table and then coming up with one that satisfies to the best of our ability all the different constituents that are impacted. And I didn't always make decisions that way. So that was a huge lesson for me. I think we probably both learned a lot over the last year in particular about like just the value of, of the gaining that other perspective, particularly like our baristas and our cafe coaches. And, and we have some, you know, tools in the company now that help just feed that, like give us that input. Um, and I'd say that was a uh, it's been a huge help for mm -hmm. like maintaining very cohesive teams as we work through this because there's a ton of opportunity for it to go off the rails like there's a different perspective on literally every yeah. decision and nobody knows like there's not we just don't have great data right. to tell us what the right decision is so trying to say hey team here are the options what do you think what do you think what do you think okay here's what we're gonna do here's why we get it may not be right you know, but it's what we believe is best given the information we have and let's go. And generally people have been like, okay, cool. Like yeah. I got it. Like I understand. And so I just appreciate, you know, everybody that we work with at Stone Creek who has been up for that. And we, you and I get emails sometimes about like, Hey, what about this? What are you guys thinking about this? And generally it's come from, you know, an attitude of, listen, I get it. Um, yeah. here's my concern. And, and those, speak ups we call them help yeah. us go okay this is what's being felt right now and how do we bring that into yeah our decision making and you know again it's it's about trying to you know build a company that we're proud of in terms of how it operates and how it cares for people and ultimately we want it to be financially successful because that just propagates that mm -hmm. culture further hopefully yeah one of my mentors that i work with i was talking to them about some of these hard decisions we were trying to make and will have to continue to make about how to manage the business and survive. And he talked to me about a concept called, which is not necessarily novel, but procedural justice. And that is don't just announce a decision from on high that you run the company and therefore here's my decision. Of course you can do that. You have the authority to do that. But if you're going to make a decision that impacts people, their work, their hours, their health and safety, their pay, whatever the topic is, the, you need to have them be part of the decision-making process. So ask them for their input, learn what they need. And just, we did a lot of that. We wanted everybody to be able to raise their hand and say, here's my perspective. So it wasn't just the two or three smart 
interesting people on a given topic that I would talk to, we'd send, as you know, these yeah. surveys to the whole company and go, here are five questions we have. How do you feel about that? So that when we eventually arrived at that decision, at least people had a somewhat of a warning that we were thinking about something. And two, they could give their input. And we really use that data to help yeah. us craft what we thought would be the best decision in a set of suboptimal options. Yeah, right, right. You read them all, I read them all, Karen read them all, our director of retail, Melissa read them all. So it's like they're, it was, they were truly being heard in those moments. Yeah. Yeah, so you know, we continue to press on and um, now we're faced with the still an unknown future. Mm -hmm. And we go, okay, we're trying to build a company for an unknown future. <laughs> Let's go. Um, but even over the last month, that has shifted from sort of the reactive to the, okay, we're going to start operating off what we know to put some pieces in place. And a big hurdle we just got over and we continue to work through, it's, we called it, we, we just built a garden and now we have to tend the garden. And that is our new website mm -hmm. and the way that we're going to operate in the digital realm for the future. Yeah. So just to speak to that, we had started last summer redesigning our kind of go-to-market strategy for our wholesale business and, and then eventually our, our, our e-commerce channel. So we had been working on that and then COVID hit. We were already planning a website redesign and we just kept moving through COVID and we built a whole new platform, a couple different platforms through COVID. Yeah. And we just launched those. I'm super proud of them. As you said, we see them as gardens that have been tilled and seeds are starting to be planted and eventually we will be watering and caring for the the growth from that that garden but we know that the world continues to shift from a purchasing perspective and of course covid has just accelerated um the chant the change in the the channels by which people buy products and coffee included and so we're working on a strategy to have three businesses which we've we've had for a long time, e-commerce, retail, and wholesale, but the composition's probably gonna continue to shift. Um, we've closed two cafes permanently during COVID, two cafes that um, um, are no longer part of our group, and who knows what the future will hold. We don't have any other closures planned, but it's likely our re retail group over time will get smaller, probably. Uh, our digital and e-commerce platform will likely grow, consistent with the, the broader trends in retailing, um, but by our choice as well. And then we'll continue to find ways to sell our coffee wholesale to restaurants and hotels and other places as our society tries to open up. And certainly when there's a vaccine, um, that should accelerate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so as we go to the future, I mean, the lessons that have kind of carried us through COVID, I think, continue to be relevant for us in the days ahead. And that is take on as much information as you can from as many places as you can and let that influence the decision making, but then make the decision and just go mm -hmm. like, cause you're, you don't know if it's going to be right. And we talk about this, like some action in most cases is probably better than no action. As long as you're taking, you know, the information you can on board, just be willing to pivot. Right. Like yeah, classic friends scene. I don't know if you've seen the, <laughs> no. the pivot scene. From, uh. But we, we have, you know, I, I asked my dad at one point who ran a furniture business for 50 years. I asked him, dad, I have to make this important decision here. I'm what I'm waiting. Can you help me pick one or what I should do? And he said, Eric, you know, it, it does matter which one you pick, but you need to pick one because if you pick the wrong one, you'll know very quickly. And through COVID, we've made bad decisions. We had certain information. We did our best. And all of a sudden, two days later, we get more information like, nope. <laughs> and, and the goal is to say, 
I made a mistake. Yeah. I got more information, and now we're gonna do X instead of Y. And being being okay with that, I think there's this perception that business owners, leaders of any kind, that somehow they know more. They don't. Yeah. Like they're taking in the world just as you are, trying to make the best decision they can. And it's okay to be humble in the face of those types of mistakes. I did the best I could, I got new information, I'm gonna admit that it was wrong, and now we're gonna pivot. And if that's part of your culture, whether it's how you live as an individual or the culture you build in a company, ultimately you will navigate or wayfind your way forward to success. But if you hold tight to your ego or to your decisions or being smarter than someone, or making a better decision than someone, you just won't. The world mm -hmm. doesn't, sort of like COVID, it doesn't particularly care. Um, it will find you and get you if you make a bad decision. And the trick is to learn and to move move on. Yeah. Um, and we've had to do that. We've made many bad decisions. The goal is to make slightly more good decisions than bad. Sure. And that's all. <laughs> just come out on the right side of the ledger. Right. And yeah, I think a key in that is two things. Be humble. Say, if you, if you messed up, say, I messed up. I just messed up. Like, right. and so I'm, I, what I tell people, um, like what I try and like live out as a, a leader is like, I'm wrong all the time and I'm probably wrong more than most people, but I'll just say it. I was wrong guys. I'm sorry. Let's try something else. And so like that, that attitude I think will serve you well and then be empathetic to uh, how other people feel. And that's probably, I think I've always had the, hey, I was wrong. What I haven't always had is um, skills in empathy. Like, listen, I hear you, I understand, and I'm gonna go out of my way to like communicate my care. I'd say I've been caring, like in sort of in my soul, oh, I'm a caring person but that doesn't really matter too much if people don't feel that. And so like growing in empathy and a communication of empathy has been something that's also important and I think is important for any leader who, who wants to make a difference in people's lives, not just build something cool. Mm -hmm. On that note, I think we'll, we'll wrap it up. I mean, we've got a lot of work ahead of us. And so one of our goals is in, to build new and unique experiences for our customers, and that includes digital ones. So, you know, making the podcast, uh, again, a regular product of what we do is, is high on our priority list. We also have a new blog platform on the website. So go to stonecreekcoffee.com, check that out. We've got a lot of cool new products on there as well. Um, we're really trying to just take on as much feedback as we can and let that influence what we do in the future. So if you have any ideas for us, you have any feedback for the website, what you see us doing in our cafes, don't hesitate to reach out to us. You can email us at any time, customers at stonecreekcoffee.com. Um, and we'd just love to hear from you. Also would love any ideas you have for the podcast or any questions you have for us that you'd like us to wrestle through. We'd be happy to take those. Um, you know, as we take a step, we're just going to, we're gonna learn, that's the goal. We say never stop learning all the time. So hopefully you can take that on board as well in the days ahead as we continue to work through these difficult times.